Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, everyone. Ellis here with a quick editor's update. Uh, we just wanted to highlight the fact that we are talking about some sensitive issues in today's episode, uh, including HIV AIDS, queer oppression and internalized homophobia. So we just wanted to advise listener discretion going forward. We also just wanted to preemptively fact check ourselves on something that was mentioned in this episode. We talk about the casting choices around the character of Angel quite a bit and something that was mentioned uh, while we recorded, was that uh, the drag queen Valentina played Angel in the 2019 Rent live production. And we just wanted to clarify that while Valentina is a drag queen, they are also non-binary. So in the discussion about um, cis people playing Angel, we didn't want to implicate Valentina in that because they're not cis, they're trans, they're non-binary. So um, we just wanted to make sure that was really clear um, so that there was no confusion when we get to that part of the discussion. We also wanted to bring up the fact that uh, we want to make this podcast as accessible to as many people as possible. And for that reason, we've decided to censor uh, our use of particular words in this episode. And we've done it in a way that made me laugh so much when we did it. Uh, and we hope it makes you laugh as well. I uh, hope you enjoy the episode. Take care. a feminist podcast. Hello and welcome to Feminism Ruins Everything. This is the feminist podcast where we give a feminist critique to movies, musicals and pop culture phenomenon and potentially ruin them. My name is Millicent Sarr. I'm Ellis Dolan. And today we are so excited because we have our first guest. We're like a real podcast with oh. guests and everything. Um, hello guest, would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? Hello, I'm Josh Bell Perio, and I'm a friend of Millicent's and Ellis's. <laughs> um, uh, and I'm also an artist myself. I think I could call myself that. I, I think you could. Definitely can. Having you know, been working in the arts for several years, yeah. uh, you are indeed an artist in our eyes. Thank you. For those who aren't familiar with Josh Bell Perio's work, he is uh, a South Australian composer. He is a graduate from the Elder Conservatorium of the University of, of Music, from the University of Adelaide. Mm -hmm. uh, he's also created three full-length shows, uh, solo shows, and performed them uh, all around the country, including shows uh, called Scarred for Life, uh, 30,000 Notes, and Right Here, Right Now, most recently at the, the latest uh, Adelaide Fringe, and has also just been accepted to a very prestigious musical theatre writing course in New York at Global Pandemic Pending. Oh, yeah. We're very proud of you. I'm proud Thank of you, you, Josh. Thank you. The cool thing about having Josh here is that he has very generously offered to lend a queer voice and a queer perspective to this discussion because I'm sure our listeners are really sick of me and Ellis going, here's our take on the queer representation in this thing that we're dissecting, but we're not queer, so take it with a grain of salt. So we're really excited that Josh is going to um, be a queer perspective um, as we dissect what is a very queer work today. 
Josh, why don't you introduce the work that we are looking at today? Sure. Today we're going to be looking at Jonathan Larson's 1996 musical, Rent. Amazing. Josh, before we get into the, the discussion of, I suppose, uh, the feminist and queer aspects of this show, can you give us a bit of an idea of what the significance of this work is to the queer community? Sure. Well, I did a bit of research about this, and prior to Rent, uh, queer representation in musical theatre was quite scant, as we can believe. Mm-hmm. Um, according to Broad Gay... <laughs> That's outstanding. <laughs> an examination of queer representation in musicals published in uh, thetelegraph.org. See, referencing my sources. <laughs> This is the most prepared anyone's <laughs> ever been for this podcast. Oh, well, there you go. I, I'm, it's a very serious podcast Josh now. has sources and Ellis and I don't even know the names of the characters in Love Actually. <laughs> okay, so get this. In 1926, a musical called The Captive premiered at the Empire Theatre. It told the story of a woman named Irene who is in love with a woman named Madame... Maybe uh, you know French. I do. Where am I looking? Uh, Madame... Uh, that ish yeah maybe so it was a lesbian love story it ran for 160 performances until it was raided and shut down by the new york city police oh my god for its portrayal of lesbianism uh according to one of the biography of one of the actors um as we walked out onto the stage to await our first entrances we were stopped by a plainclothes policeman who showed his badge and said Please don't let it disturb your performance tonight, but consider yourself under arrest. Oh, <laughs> oh no, you're right. No, I'll just I'll just go on and perform the show now. Um, thank you. That will not rattle me no. whatsoever. No, I would take that as a badge of honor. Like that's my new career goal <laughs> to have a performance that is interrupted by a police officer saying you're under arrest. <laughs> you're under but arrest. also, like that kind of. Uh, implies that the police officer is like, you're under arrest, but the show's so good, I'm not going to stop the show from going on. So <laughs> please, please continue. Just be aware that you're under arrest. You're a criminal. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's so cool. And then it says, the next openly gay character would not appear on Broadway for another 43 years. Whoa. I mean, being arrested pre-show probably was enough to yeah. deter other people <laughs> yeah. from... From trying that one anytime soon. But I'm also amazed that they made it through 160 performances without so much as a hitch. Mm. Like, that's a good run. It just makes me feel like it's almost as if lesbianism is invisible to the patriarchy. (laughs) The patriarchy. Can we say that on this podcast? That might be our first F bomb on the podcast. Okay. Um, But I mean, we are talking about rent. Considering we're talking about rent. Is pretty par for yeah. the course. Now we've all said it, it's all okay. Interestingly, um, the version that Ellis and I watched of Rent to reacquaint... Josh well. Oh, Josh yeah, watched it as well. I'm so yeah. sorry, yeah, Josh, yeah, for fine. trying to exclude yeah. you from that. Wow, how heteronormative. <laughs> <laughs> um. let, me, let me mansplain something to you, ma'am. This is, this is one of our favourite things to do, by the way, like, listeners. We're like... <laughs> to overuse the word I mean, like, overusing the word how heteronormative of me and I like overusing the word mansplain um, but basically we watched this version of Rent Live which was aired on Foxtel Fo- Foxtel no Fo- Fox that yeah was the, it was aired on Foxtel Fox Foxtel is yeah. something different um, but basically we were shocked to find that they had censored out the swearing and we were like it's Rent like, they couldn't even say times are shitty. They changed it 
to times, times ain't, ain't pretty. pretty. I was like, it's it's rent. There's, <laughs> yeah. there's a scene that's like a thinly veiled orgy, like, and you can't say shit. The orgy made it to screen, though. It did. Like, I just thought that it was a you shouldn't censor rent. Because uh, it's, you know, a grungy show. It's but a show about ca- characters who are railing against censoring their art. Yeah, for exactly. mainstream culture. Um, but also, if you're going to censor it, like, be consistent. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> to be fair, if you censored Rent in that fashion, it'd be about 20 minutes long. And... Isn't there a version, like the high school version of Rent, where everyone has diabetes? Is there? Oh, my God. Is there really? I, I, I hope... I really hope that that version of it is like some like joke that people have been like, huh, imagine a high school version. Surely. Everyone would have diabetes. I, I hope it's not real. Surely the Jonathan Larson estate never gave the rights to... Mm. According to Wikipedia, there is a Rent School edition. What? It doesn't specify whether or not it, it deals with, with AIDS or, or diabetes. It does say that contact is removed. So they take the orgy out of the school version. Mm. But the orgies also, I don't think, in the movie either no I don't think contact in the movie no because no. it's very artistic and stagey yeah 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 Josh, we, we, we got sidetracked, we which is something that we like to do on Feminism yes. Ruins Everything. That's the center square on Feminism Ruins Everything bingo. Yeah, play along if you'd <laughs> like to. Uh, All right. Continue talking to us about queer representation on Broadway, Josh. Thank you. So 43 years after this 1926 musical where they arrested the actors, um, the next gay character to appear was Sebastian Bain in Coco, which premiered in 1969, which was, for those playing at home, the same year as the Stonewall Riots. Oh, wow. Oh. Sebastian Bain was a hateful caricature of a gay man, but he was gay nonetheless, and which is something that is a personal bone to pick that I have with queer representation. I hate when you throw in a when the, your only queer character happens to be the villain and they're stereotyped in a very mm. um uh a very the, all of the queerness of that character is is villainized and I, I hate that like jk rowling learn from that please no more queer villains as you're literally your only characters in harry potter mm. um josh is going back um to what I was actually talking about? No, no. no, going back to something else you mentioned about the Stonewall Riot. Yeah. Um, I, I know, obviously, that is a very uh, dense topic and it's hard to summarise it. But um, can you give our listeners, if they don't know what that is, just a little quick, like, spark notes of the significance of sure, that event? Sure, sure. Stonewall, yep, Stonewall was a gay club in New York City, which in 1969 was raided by the police and the queer people there said uh, many of whom were people of color um said enough of us hiding and being rioted and bullied by the police we're actually going to march down the main street and we're going to parade and be openly queer Mm. and this was the world's first pride march and that's why we have pride marches amazing thank you you're welcome so yeah so we've got some um queer representation but mostly it's uh it's you've just got them they're a plot point or they're a villain or you know um they're not uh really fully fully fleshed out characters Mm. that we like and there are certainly no queer stories really being told yes until we get to 1974 when a chorus line was the first major broadway musical to have gay characters discuss the sexual aspect of their lives 
whereas previously gay characters were restricted to the stereotypical personality traits of gayness. I knew Chorus Line was ahead of its time. <laughs> yeah. Bloody love Chorus Line. Embarrassingly, I haven't actually like ever seen it or listened to it. So but that's I should... okay because it's not the it's not the musical we're discussing today, no. so you can be excused. No. <laughs> uh, then this article just jumps to rent, so I am just going to assume um, that there that that queerness like carried out in the same fashion. It's just a plot point or like a minor mm. thing. Um, Rent really was revolutionary. Rent was huge for its representations of queer people as real three-dimensional characters, Mm. real three-dimensional people, and um, basically, like, it was this huge moment for queer representation in musical theatre. And on a personal note, I saw this show when I was 13 years old, and I was a very closeted 13-year-old boy attending a Catholic school, and I had some very negative views about gay people and queer people. And this show made me very briefly not homophobic <laughs> anymore <laughs> for, like, a year. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah, it was really great. It gave me some really positive um, queer characters Yeah, that's, to look up That's to. such mm. a testament to the importance of positive queer representation in art. Yeah, and it's, it wasn't just like these were like okay, like like the fact that the first love song in Rent is this beautiful love song between a man and a person whose whose um, whose uh, gender identity is never specified, but we can read as a trans person, a male to female trans person. The fact that that was the first mm. love mm. song in the show, and it was just this beautiful song. It that made me non-homophobic, like as a thirteen-year-old boy in a Catholic school. You hear it, heard it here f- first, folks. Uh, rent cures homophobia. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, yeah. I was like, oh wait, what's wrong with this? These and these are like these are lovely people, and they're just having a really great relationship. And I also love it that in that show, that is their relationship is by far the best relationship. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, specifically, we're talking about the relationship between Angel and Collins. Angel and Collins. Yeah. yeah. And Angel is the most likable character. and But then also this show doesn't shy away from portraying uh, unhealthy relationships between queer people, yeah. uh, particularly Joanne and Maureen. Um, it doesn't shy away from portraying control issues. And, like, um, Maureen wanting more sexual freedom in her relationship mm. and... Um, Joanne not being open to that, like portraying all of that, portraying queer people as flawed people, portraying queer people uh, as potentially even abusive or disrespectful as well. It's, yeah. It was really, uh, it's really important yeah. and it was really representative. Mm. And also the fact that it really delved into and didn't shy away from the AIDS crisis, which really was um, such a huge thing to, to hit the queer community in the time that it set. Totally. So, um, so this is the thing that I love about Rent. It is a musical about a pandemic, and watching it again now, it really landed home. Like it really, it really felt relevant. It really um, hit home. It made me cry. It just like, uh, and this idea that uh, it, it it's trying to like make you not 
not shame yourself for having contracted this disease at a mm. time when they didn't know how it was spread. They didn't know anything about it. They didn't know very much about it at all, really. Um, like the lyrics, there's only us, there's only this, forget regret, all life is yours to mm. miss. Mm. Simple, but true and really relevant to now. And I just thought it was beautiful and wholesome. Mm. I highly rate this musical. Um, and the point that I would like to make about it being about a pandemic is that obviously the AIDS crisis was huge. Yeah. But it was, it didn't receive the same kind of response that coronavirus did in mainstream culture um, because it affected queer people and sex workers and um, drug addicts disproportionately. And it affected maligned and disenfranchised members of society. But the statistics are shocking. Like, um, and I'm going to bring this up. This is according to um, hmm. this is according to a website called Making AIDS History. By the end of 1991, let me just get this up. Yeah, by the end of 1991, the CDC, Center for Disease Control, reports that one million Americans are infected with HIV. One million Americans. Mm. Uh, Two hundred thousand cases of AIDS are reported. And there were 1,500, sorry, 156,000 deaths, 37,000 of which were in New York alone. This is just huge. And comparing it to coronavirus at the minute, at the moment. So we're recording this on the 6th of May 2020. Mm, there's 1.23 million confirmed cases in the United States, 71,000 deaths, 19,000 of which are in New York alone. Mm. And when you look at that, like the number of people that died from AIDS is is almost double the number of people yeah. in New York specifically, yeah. the number of people that have so far died from coronavirus in New York. And the, the response to coronavirus has been so much stronger than there was a response to the AIDS crisis. Absolutely. And the response being to shut down the world, I believe, is correct. Mm. Um but the AIDS crisis just in its time was was just the governments just ignored it they they want actively wanted queer people sex workers drug addicts to die mm. there's no like looking there's no two ways about that that's what they wanted it it was horrific um and that was like the view of that was the view of the the general public particularly in Australia with the grim reaper ads um for viewers who aren't uh, aren't familiar, the um, the Australian media produced ads that showed a Grim Reaper um, bowling and striking pins that had faces of um, random people on it, and it, like one of the pins was uh, a, a little girl, and it fell down, and it was like about how you should practice safe sex, particularly if you're queer. Mm. And um, it, but it was, was it was like it was the fear tactics. It was the right? fear tactics, like, and it was very shaming, mm-hmm. and that has profoundly affected the the way that queer people have been shamed through the AIDS crisis has profoundly affected the community. Um, even to date, I have friends who report that they friends who are like maybe ten years older than me who are queer who report that they believed that the instant that they kissed 
uh, he's a, he was a man. He said the, the instant he believed he the instant he kissed another, he was going to kiss another man. They would instantly get AIDS and die. Mm. Yeah, wow. which is horrible. Yeah, and I suppose that's also part of the power of Rent: the fact that these characters are um, like a lot of the core cast um, are HIV positive, mm. um, and the fact that they're humanized and you empathize with them and you see them as real characters and they're not just they're not just statistics they're characters that you care about i think is probably another part of the power of this show totally and the fact that it's so anti-shaming mm. of these characters mm. and their experiences is really really powerful oh my god yeah <laughs> and the fact that they're like let's make the most of the present because we know that we're going to die is a lesson that really hits home right now yeah but it, it, like you also have the moments where they, you know, they go to the support group, and everybody at the support group is like, "We are aware that, you know, we we have this thing that is uh, afflicting us, and they're able to feel that affliction in a safe space, and then go out and and like you said, live their lives." And so it, mm-hmm. it, it's a really good example of showcasing uh, multifacets of uh, being somebody who's HIV positive. Yeah, totally. And I'd say that the showing the support group and also the group of friends that is core to that musical um, really shows how community gets through a pandemic, how mm. you get through a pandemic through community. And I think that's just the most beautiful and relevant yeah. message. Topical. Yeah. Mm. So something that we have talked about, um, kind of a term that we've bandied around a fair bit on this podcast is the idea of intersectionality. And um, you'd notice that for most episodes, we talk about um, queer representation. We talk about the representation of um, people of color and um, have discussed uh, representation of other minorities as well. And the reason that we do that is because of this little thing that we like to call intersectionality. Actually, it's not little, it's actually... (laughs) Quite a big, important thing. uh, It's actually quite broad. (laughs) Um, And we realised that we haven't actually gone into what intersectionality is, and given that one of the, like, core values, I suppose, of this podcast is, like, making feminism accessible, we thought we'd just touch a bit on what intersectionality is, and that kind of ties into um, why queer stories are really important in this space as well. Um, So intersectionality essentially is recognising that the experiences of people belonging to other minorities and other disenfranchised groups intersect with their experience of sexism. Um, or or misogyny. Um, This is is purely from a a feminist perspective, and I know that um, there's a level of intersectionality in in queer discourse as well. Um, I'm not sure if that's necessarily the way that it is framed, but queerness is um, a very broad thing. (laughs) Yeah, I'd argue that the word queer is an intersectional word because you're encompassing lots of different people of lots of different sexualities and genders Mm. um, who are banding together under this one word, which is queer. Yeah. Which is is something that didn't really, this this idea that didn't really exist um, only a few decades ago. You know? Yeah. Gay people, gay men were different to lesbian women who were different to bisexual people who were different to Trans people, blah, 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 yeah. like the whole thing. And now we have LGBTQIA+. 
Yeah. All in the same rainbow banner. Yeah. Um, but specifically to, to feminism, uh, intersectionality is recognising that, um, like for me as a straight, white, economically privileged woman, my able-bodied as well, um, my experience is very different to a woman who um, is a woman of colour or um, a trans woman or a disabled woman um, or people who um, belong to a number of those groups. And it's about making sure that feminist spaces and feminist activism is inclusive and that uh, your discourse and your um, your protest and your activism um, is not whether purposefully or accidentally actually outcasting these other groups further sure um, which is which is why it is really important when we're giving a feminist critique of something um, to include a queer perspective and um, and discuss queer representation and queer voices as well as um, the voices of women. And that's why it's really cool to have Josh here because um, he and I have had lots of great chats about how feminism and queer rights intersect. Yeah, totally. And um, Josh, you want to talk a little bit about... We've had a really cool chat off air about how um, you think that sexism is the root of homophobia totally and this isn't just me that thinks that this is a a theory that's out there in the queer community that um yeah literally sexism is the root of homophobia it was put really well by alan downs in the book the velvet rage uh which is that men who love men commit a kind of double sin against the patriarchy and against masculinity because we are feminine and so, so like the patriarchy kind of hate this femininity in us because they think it's that, that anything feminine is weak and inferior. Oh, well, I didn't need to mansplain that. <laughs> oh, we all know Did that. you just mansplain patriarchy? Yeah, I just, <laughs> <laughs> just mansplaining patriarchy to Millicent Sarr. That's what I do. Um, Oh, maybe we should take that out for people that don't understand our relationship. No, it's okay because we no. were laughing. I think. Okay. Okay. Cool. cool. <laughs> we also we also explained earlier that you're constantly doing that to each yeah, other. Yeah. 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 Um, so, so basically, we are we have committed the ultimate crime against masculinity by loving another man, mm. and I think it's uh, it's. It's really interesting when you look at um, Margaret Atwood's The Handmaid's Tale, Mm. this right-wing dystopia where women are enslaved. In a world like that, all the gay men are dead. Mm -hmm. Because, like, if, if sexist oppression is taken to its maximal extent, gay men are just... There's no place for them. They are so abhorrent. Um, They're viewed to be so abhorrent by society Mm. for... um, for being feminine men. There's no greater crime, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I guess, in Handmaid's Tale, where there's such an emphasis on fertility, mm. um, the fact that um, gay couples aren't able to conceive also, I think, probably plays into that as well. Yeah, totally. Uh, there's no yeah, there's no place for us in that kind of alt, that extreme right-wing society. So, 
that's the reality if <laughs> if sexism went to maximum extent all of us gay men would be dead mm. and that is the reality in a lot of countries yeah this is very dark it is we're talking about a very dark point in history i think when when we're when we're looking at at a topic like rent that where where there are so many things that are still prevalent uh to this day i mean uh relationships uh the relationship to the queer community uh in, and society has definitely gotten better since rent was produced but a lot mm. of the core issues are still pre- uh, prevalent and there and i think it's really important that we're able to talk about it and discuss it and uh, and all the the ramifications that it has so yeah let this this is going to be the dark episode i think this is following <laughs> love actually which was really <laughs> fluffy and everything so sure so come on this is the dark episode it's great sure. And I just say, like, as a gay man, I kind of find myself in an awkward position because I have male privilege, um, but also my femininity is what society hates me for. Uh, it's it's weird because, like, what am I even trying to say? Like, um, you're you're you both benefit from patriarchy and suffer because of it. Yes, in a different, very different way yeah. to how women. Um, suffer from the patriarchy and yeah it's very weird and difficult to uh, it's just it's just very it's it's an awkward situation it's an awkward situation and I think I would argue that most men both benefit and suffer from from patriarchy Mm -hmm. Um, and um, the fact that you know you you do have male privilege um, as a as a man in this world um, but also patriarchy um, encourages you to subscribe to, to toxic masculinity and mm-hmm. not, be, um, not be an emotional being and uh, t- uh, deters you from wanting to be vulnerable and um, dictates that men should, um, should not emote, which has really negative ramifications for mm-hmm. um, like men's mental health. Mm. Um, should not emote in any other way than anger. Yes, say. yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, and so I think that while while men do benefit from patriarchy, a lot of men also recognise its um, its issues and realise that dismantling patriarchy means that everyone gets to live freer, truer lives. Yeah, totally. Also, different queer people are oppressed by patriarchy in different ways mm. as well. And so obviously I can't speak for the whole queer community. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to delve into like trans representation in a hot second. And um, while you can probably speak from a more educated perspective than Ellis or I, Josh. Um, I cannot represent the trans community. Mm-hmm. Yes. There is one character being Angel who it's not explicitly stated that she is a trans woman, but that is how the three of us read that yeah we we theorized that perhaps the the language wasn't there at the time of rent being written or or wasn't as nuanced as it is now and they didn't have the the term or jonathan larson didn't feel like affixing a term to how angel identified but josh you mentioned that 
the, the trans community has kind of embraced Angel as a, a trans woman. Is that well, correct? I would just say that uh, a Jonathan Larson didn't attach any term to any of the characters. Yeah, that's really so true. true. Um, yeah. So, and I think that's very, very true because no one, especially back then, sort of just announced how they how their gender and sexual identity fits mm. into the world with a label. Uh, and I think that's really cool. And I think that in itself is very nuanced. Yeah. <laughs> but I would just say that uh, I would say that the, the the queer community, as far as I'm aware, would read has has claimed Angel as a trans woman, mm-hmm. male to female um, trans woman, and I'd say that we can we we can surmise this from the fact that she dresses in affirmation with her identity. Um like uh constantly she never appears out of a femme presenting outfit mm. until she literally dies of aids spoiler alert <laughs> um, what <laughs> this is brand new <laughs> she exclusively takes uh female pronouns yeah. and um and like oh and okay like conchita put this really well for me, uh, Conchita, the, the popular drag queen who won Eurovision in uh, 2016? Sure. Uh, mm-hmm. Fact checkers, if you're listening 15, and you want to disagree. <laughs> Mid-2010s. Um, Inconsequential. What did yeah. she say, Josh? <laughs> she said to me, she did this workshop at the Queer Youth Drop-In in Adelaide. which <gasps> I went. awesome. Oh, yeah, it was really cool. And she said, the difference between what I do, which is uh, drag and a trans person, is that drag is performative. It's when you create a character. She said it's all um, it's glitter and um, and and makeup and and like ooh, what was that look for? Oh, that was Ellis giving me a dirty look <laughs> for playing with my paper. So oh, okay, okay, okay. Nothing, nothing to do with the content. That's no, 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 definitely no. not. Um, it's it's not it's not that I would it's not that Mim was fidgeting with the paper. It's that I have already reprimanded her. <laughs> For fidgeting. Yeah. And she is continuing to fidget. Yeah, right. <laughs> Once I say my one quotes on this piece of paper, I'll put it down. I promise. Yeah. Um, so, so, Sorry, what did Conchita say? She said, it's like, what I do is glitter and makeup and um, it's performance. And for trans people, this is their reality. Yeah. And I would say the way that we see Angel um, represented is that this, this is her reality. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and, and you have a quote, Mim. Yeah, um, she says the first time that she dresses um, and uh, presents quite femme, she says to Collins, um, oh, like, do you like the way that I look? Like, do you like my outfit? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I, I really like it and supports her. And she's like, yeah, this feels like me. Mm. Which I think um, makes her come across as a lot more trans than a drag queen. I'd say that's a fairly emphatic mm-hmm. um, line of dialogue. Yeah, and that moment is uh, directly before they break into "I'll Cover You," which is the the first love song of the piece. Uh, Such a shame. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. It's so happy. I love it, and I just love. I've said this before, but I love that their relationship is so wholesome and yeah. good. And the only point of tragedy is the fact that Angel dies from AIDS. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the fact that Angel is more often than not played by a cis man. Yeah, that's problematic. 
end of discussion. (laughs) (laughs) That's... It, it is problematic that Angel in the 2019 version that we all saw uh, was played by a drag queen. Mm. Because I think <laughs> the underlying notion that you get from that is that a trans woman is a man dressed up. And so I'd say that for an accurate portrayal, Angel should be played by an M to F trans person mm-hmm. or someone who, yeah, actively... Um, is something that's quite different, uh, a gender that's quite different from the way that they were, yeah. were assigned and expe- are expected to be in the world. Yeah. Moral of the story, Angel being played by a cis man is problematic. Yeah. Is it more problematic to cast uh, somebody who is well-known as a drag performer in this role than... A, a, cis actor, a cis man who isn't a drag performer by associating the uh, the idea of drag with the character Angel is that harming the representation of that character? That's a great question that I would say should be answered by someone who is trans. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't speak for that. Yeah. Fair yeah. enough. To our trans listeners, if you have thoughts and opinions about this and you'd like to share your perspective, we would love to to hear them please get in touch let's move on to one of the other queer couples in the show uh joanne and maureen did i get their names right you did oh i'm so proud of myself because (laughs) another another box on feminism ruins everything bingo is ella's renames a character (laughs) and he has not in this instance i'm really okay i'm really i'm really glad about that um so joanne and maureen are a lesbian couple Uh, And it's uh, suggested that Maureen is bisexual because she's also dated Mark, Mm. uh, who was our narrator. And throughout the story, their relationship is very much an on-again, off-again, almost a running gag of how often they break up and then get back together. Yeah. Um, Yeah. How do we feel about them? I have some thoughts about the representation of Maureen as a likely bisexual character. Sure, yep. Um, obviously, if you're somebody who dates people of multiple genders, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're bisexual. There are any number of sexualities that sure. could um, result in you dating people of multiple genders. But um, I, I think it's it's often assumed that Maureen is bisexual. Well, in the commentary, yeah, it is. Um, I would say yes. And I think that um, Ellis and I were talking about this um, a little while ago in the lead up to recording this episode about the fact that Maureen kind of really fulfills this bisexual stereotype that um, people who are bi are quite promiscuous, right? Yeah. And that, um, you know, to be somebody who... um, identifies with bisexuality is um there because you get to sleep with more people like the the people that you can potentially be attracted to and um yep that is a stereotype yeah exactly um it's also mentioned throughout the piece that maureen has been unfaithful to either mark or joanne or both both, i I think she cheated she cheated maureen cheated (laughs) 
Yeah. That was uh, my, my solo rendition of the duet, Diego Mori. <laughs> Which I read as a nuanced... Um, nuanced like it, it, it plays out as a nuanced uh, way of exploring that Maureen wants more sexual freedom in her relationships. Mm-hmm. And they explore that, and that's a really cool thing to explore. Yeah. I do think, however, that the stereotype is harmful... And I think that there's so little representation of bisexual characters anywhere. Oh, I've got a good point on, about this. This is according to Broad Gay, mm. the article I referenced before. This person, this writer says, according to my research, there have been at least 591 musicals on Broadway since the first Broadway musical, The Elves, in the mid-1800s. Okay. Of those 591 musicals, I could find approximately... Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. 20 with yep. gay men characters. Yes. 7 with lesbians. Ooh, patriarchy. 2 with bisexual characters. Oh, damn. Is one of them wow. right? Yes. What's the one, other one? One man. Uh, the, the other one is a man, Lucas, in If Then, which is another Idina show. Oh. Oh, um, Idina Menzel oh, and yeah, the shows with bi characters. That sounds <laughs> like a Harry Potter novel. <laughs> Harry Potter and the shows with bi characters. Um, so yeah, so the, this person has literally only found two bi characters in all of musical theatre. If you're a listener and you can think of another example, please send it through. Um, I'd argue Alphaba, but that's another can of worms. <laughs> Ooh, okay, well, cool. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Our next episode, I believe, is going to be Wicked. I think that's what the schedule Spoiler says. Alert. So uh, we'll delve into that next week, Ellis. Cool. Uh, keep listening if you want to hear another our Adina episode. show. Another Adina show. <laughs> uh, that wasn't purposeful, um, but I think the the bisexual stereotype mm. that is presented is harmful. Yep. Because, um, for one, the idea that you're bi so that you get a grander scope of people to choose from to be your sexual partners yeah. is harmful because it suggests that it's a choice. Or that this idea, which I do not subscribe to, that um, uh, your uh, extreme sexual appetite means that you will have sex with anyone. Yeah, And you yeah, just don't care. Exactly. And that's why you're bi. Yeah. And also, I suppose, I think... 
especially in uh, heterosexual partnerships where um, one of the people is bisexual, there's this kind of um, this this underlying threat in inverted commas that mm. the bisexual partner is going to go and sleep with somebody else, and it, sure. it, yeah, it it's a harmful stereotype for by people. Yeah, and not, not that there's anything wrong with being a uh, person who likes to have a lot of sex. Yeah, exactly. Bi, but um, let's not have one of literally two characters that have ever been represented in musical theatre, arguably, ever as bi, um, be a stereotype. Yeah, because mm. there's um, there are so many different ways to be bisexual can we see more than just the stereotype <laughs> yeah, represented? Yeah. And they totally could have fixed it by just making another character by, mm. um, yeah. Yeah. What about Mark? He's not doing much. But then, Mark's... like, he doesn't have. But also, what I love about Rent is that characters never announce their gender and/or yeah. sexual identity, including Maureen. Um, mm. And and I think that like Mark doesn't have any relationships. Why would he ever need to announce that he's bi? <laughs> Very true. I Very think true. to some degree. Um, that's almost idyllic, the fact that you don't have to announce who you are or be like, yes, this is my one label that I'm going to subscribe to for the rest of my life. You just love who you love and you pursue whatever relationship you want to pursue and and that's just, it is what it is. That'd be a cool place to get to. Yeah. In the meantime, um, <laughs> I'd direct us to uh, a, um, a song that I love by, ah, oh, what's her face? Ah, um, uh, oh, she... Jude Pearl, Jude Pearl, a song by Jude Pearl. Um, I don't know if it's called Labels, but it's on her latest album. And it's like, only use a label if it's useful. Mm. Yeah, and to some people, it really helps um, forge your identity and figure out yeah. who you are to have a label that you're like, yes, this is me. Yeah, um, this is me. I am brave. <laughs> I am bruised. I'm I am very specific chorus lyrics. Yeah. This, this is, is me. me. All right. Let's get off the Pasik and Paul train <laughs> before it ends. Let's talk about the portrayal of women. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, let's talk about Mimi. Sure. Mimi's going out tonight <laughs> is what she's doing. Can we say that she gets the boppest bop that ever bopped? Oh, I just want you to call it a bop, Mim. The bop. It's an absolute bop. It's an absolute it's bop. Take on the bingo. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> out tonight is my audition song. It's my go-to audition song. Great. To be like, I can belt, but I have thin folds. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, it's, and also, it's, it's a bop. It's a, it's a very big sing. And the cool thing about Mimi is that she is unabashed in who she is. Mm. She she never downplays her sexuality. Yeah. Uh, and and Mimri, uh, you mentioned earlier the, the good point that... Uh, she appears to be an exotic dancer. Uh, there's implications that she's also a sex worker. And at no point does anybody vilify her for mm. that vocation. Everybody perhaps, seems to be very accepting of it. Perhaps apart from one lyric about her putting on her lace boots and then... The implication being the implication that she'd be going out to... Yeah, yeah, by, yeah. by one of her lovers. I can't remember which. Wow, this is amazingly sourced. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, Josh. She, you backed up your sources earlier. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, according to Broadgay. Um, yeah, Broadgay didn't have anything to say about this. But yeah, other than that possible one line, mm-hmm. um, you're entirely right. In, in yeah. fact, a lot of the conflict with Mimi, uh, 
uh, comes from from her relationship with Roger, where she's kind of trying to get him to essentially do drugs, and he's like, "No, I'm a recovering addict. Please leave me alone." Sure. Which I think is a very understandable stance for Roger yeah. to take. Um, actually, like props to him. Yeah. Like good on you, Roger. <laughs> yeah. I think also the fact that it's um, that, that she's portrayed in a really positive light. She's a really cool character. You'd go and see yeah. Rent and be like, oh, hell yeah, Mimi, fucking rocking it. Yeah. Like, gets the best song, yeah. gets some of the best costumes, yeah. um, like, gets to do all this, like, cool Corian stuff. Yeah. And she's somebody who is portrayed as, um, you know, owning her sexuality and uh, being an exotic dancer and being potentially a sex worker. The and fact that she's portrayed positively, yeah. I and don't think you see a positive portrayal of um, people who engage in that industry. Yeah, and she's also Hispanic. Yes, yes. she is. It, she's one of the few characters whose racial identity is written into the show because her mother calls and speaks in uh, Spanish. Spanish. Okay. Uh, and I, I believe that she's the only one where something like that occurs. I think uh, there's been a trend, a casting trend established by the original cast um, about... Uh, characters races but i think i think uh, she might be the only one that's actually written into the script sure i am of the understanding that whomever it was that originated the role of joanne didn't reprise it for the movie but was very adamant that whoever it was that was cast was an african-american woman Mm. okay um and like there's the trend that collins is usually black Benny is usually black. Like, that's pretty consistent mm-hmm. throughout most productions, yep. I would and say. And in the 2019 one, now, uh, Mark is African-American. Yes! And it's Jordan Fisher, and I love him. <laughs> He's beautiful. He and is beautiful. Pro- that's probably the my the only interpretation of Mark that I've seen that I haven't just, like, been infuriated with <laughs> and find him annoying and whingy the entire time. And I wonder if that change in... In racial casting, <laughs> or if that. it's just Jonathan, Jonathan Fisher, is that Jordan Fisher? Jordan Fisher, Jordan, Jordan or, if Fisher. It, or if it's just or, Jordan, or maybe, Fisher. maybe. See, I, but I quite like Anthony Rapp. I like. I, yeah. I think he's he's quite a good performer. I just don't like Mark. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I I prefer Jordan Fisher as Mark, but he's just so beautiful, and I better not let my boyfriend hear this. <laughs> uh, he's just like so wide eyed and like ah, oh, things in the world. Oh. Interesting that you speak of Mark. Ellis, because something that um, we've been thinking about is the fact that he kind of acts as a narrator for this because mm-hmm. he's filming everything. He's a filmmaker, and um, he's shooting without a script. Oh wow, deep. And he is more often than not played by a white guy, and mm-hmm. he is uh, the only relationship that we see him having. Um, well, we don't even see it play out, but we know that he had a relationship with Maureen, so we assume that he's straight. Um, and it's interesting that in this very diverse, very queer story, the narrator is usually a straight white guy. Is um, that because he was the author insert character? Like Maybe. Jonathan Larson. Potentially. And I, in my reading about this, I didn't know that Jonathan Larson comes from privilege and he chose to be a bohemian. And that this goes to a very... Uh, interesting thing about Rent, which is that there are characters who come from privilege who are choosing to live in poverty and live this bohemian artistic lifestyle, but could decide not to at any point. And characters who come from generational poverty who have no 
option. Mm. And, um, and Ma- Mark is definitely one of the characters who I, I believe comes from privilege. His, sure. His mother is calling so much and she yeah. seems so supportive of him. And yeah. I'm like, just call your mother back, Mark. <laughs> Please. Oh, just... this, is, this is hitting close to home <laughs> <laughs> for me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so Mark... So you think that Mark is like Jonathan Larson's autobiographic character? Also because Jonathan Larson was the only... Like, he did not have HIV, as far as I'm aware, and all of his friends did. Mm. And he led a much more conservative life, but actively chose to be a bohemian in a way that was kind of... Okay, this is the only thing about Rent that I would criticise and say has not aged well... Um, he chooses to live as a bohemian in a kind of whingy, kind of like, stick it to the man, no, 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 kind of way. And it's like, mate, just mate. But then who am I to even criticise that uh, as someone who's doing literally the exact same thing? Uh, so, so. Has, has that long hair treating you, Josh? Yeah, exactly. It's uh, making me look like I actually work. Um, anyway. <laughs> Uh, what were we talking about? We were talking Mark. about Mark, Mark as yeah. the narrator. Yeah, and an author insert character. Yeah. I feel like he is. That that idea makes a lot more sense, particularly where Mark's main... Uh, Mark has two main conflicts. One uh, is his fear of selling out yep. um, his art. And two, the fact that uh, he's one of the few people in his friend group who isn't HIV positive. Yeah, and there's that and haunting lyric, sorry to cut you off, but that, that haunting lyric um, that I'm, I'm different from you because I'm going to survive. Mm. And that's haunting to me because viewing him as the author insert character. Oh, ah! you didn't. Oh. <laughs> oh, rest in peace, Jonathan Larson. Like I'm so sorry for your untimely death. AIDS is not the only thing you can die of, Jonathan Larson. Yeah. You can get an aneurysm. Ah! You can get an aneurysm at 36. Oh, anyway. oh it's really, yeah. It's but, um, but sorry, what were you saying, Ellis? But yeah, his his kind of main conflict is this thought of like all of my friends are going to die in this pandemic, and I'm going to be the one who survives. And how do I cope with that? Yeah. And I think, de- depending on when I interact with that moment, depends on how much sympathy I have for him because mm-hmm. uh, because of the, the fact that he appears to be uh, primarily a, a straight, depending on the casting, white male who comes from privilege and has all of these opportunities and is, like, choosing to reject them, Mm. for him to then whinge about, oh, it's so sad that I'm not going to die, can come off a bit... Yeah, is that the... Yeah, I don't think Yeah. But when when I'm in a different mood, you see the survivor's guilt aspect of it and the fact that your entire world uh, or your entire support group is crumbling around you and being uh, that fear of being alone. It's very much how I'm feeling <laughs> at the time that I interact but with also that the, work. But also the portrayal. And the portrayal. Yeah. Uh, like I said, in the... In the uh, was it Jordan Fisher? Did yeah. He? With, with Jordan Fisher's portrayal, I was a lot more sympathetic, mm. mainly because he didn't have that extra level of privilege when portrayed by a white person. Sure. Mm. Sure. But also... He's just so beautiful. <laughs> it's just, I uh, hope my boyfriend does not listen to this podcast. But also I hope he does. Hi, Lucky. Hey, Lucky. <laughs> Do we think that Rent passes the Bechtel test? Yes. Um, the, the, it, it, it does alarm me the fact that there is a prominent uh, lesbian couple 
in the piece and it doesn't pass the Bechdel test until Act 2 wherein there's a conversation where Joanne and Maureen are, are discussing their uh, Maureen's next protest and they're, they're coming up with different ideas and Joanne's kind of shutting them down and that, and that leads into the song Take Me or Leave Me mm. uh, which Mim, mm. what, what is that song? It's an absolute bop! <laughs> ding, ding, ding! It's a 10 out of 10 on the bop meter and oh, that's the cringiest thing I've ever said. Continue. <laughs> uh, so that that is that is, I believe, the first instance um, of the show passing the Bechdel test, or, or, or there might be an earlier bit. There is a section in Lovey Bohem yeah, where that's what I was say. Um, yes, yes. they talk about packing down Maureen's gear yeah. after the protest. Yeah. but mm-hmm. that's that's a sliver. And you're saying that your argument, Ellis, is that it's not a meaningful conversation. Well, no, I just, to be honest, I just forgot uh, <laughs> okay. that, that happens. Sure. So much happens sure. in Le Vibion, but also nothing really happens in Le Vibion. Right. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll, I'm going to back off from the mic. Uh, We're critiquing this on its uh, queer and feminist merits, Ellis, not yes. uh, its rioting merits. But I feel like that's also fair. But I, feel like, <laughs> I feel like it's fair to get into uh, writing. Just touch on it. Are we really opening up the floor for this? Maybe finish your point. Um, yes, the show does uh, pass the Bechdel test, I guess, is the, yeah. is the, the ultimate uh, thing. Um, but I guess it just surprised me that it took so long for it to have, like, a, for there to be, like, a, a meaningful conversation yeah. within the show. I think also there are parts where Angel talks to the support worker mm-hmm. yeah. um, through the, um, the AIDS support, uh, support group. group. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there might also be some conversations towards the end between Mimi and Joanne and Maureen, but they could be about Benny. Maybe. Mimi does spend a lot of time talking about boys. Mm. Let's, yeah. let's point that out. Which she is has every right she to. She does. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's presented as this quite like sexual character, so if she wants to chat about people she's sleeping with like power to it totally but she also talks about these men who have a lot of power over her who don't always treat her right mm. let's let's bring that up because benny and mimi do engage in a relationship mm. uh and benny very quickly becomes possessive at yeah. one point he he says uh he says to mimi hey you said you wouldn't talk to him again referring to roger sure. and yeah. is very trying to control like she talks to and and yeah. and who she hangs out with. And I wrote down this great line because I really liked it, where Maureen says, um, "Who should, who said you should have any say in who she's talking to?" Mm. Damn straight, Maureen. Yes, yes Maureen. Maureen. You may be a stereotype bisexual character, but damn girl, <laughs> you got some good one-liners. Yeah. Um. Ellis, you were concerned going into this podcast. Um, I believe your exact words were, wow, was wondering how long it would take for the listeners to hate me. <laughs> <laughs> when talking about the fact that you have some serious gripes with the writing in this show. And I think that how well a show is written can sometimes um, change how well the social justice issues in it are explored so it's yeah. relevant yeah. do you want to i think it's relevant do you want to do you guys want to touch on that a little can we bit? like also say this will this may function like a panel debate on q a <laughs> between two people of opposing beliefs because i love rent i fucking love rent 
Um, I think it's really well written. And, bitch, I just got into, like, a musical theatre writing course. So bring it on, like, Donkey Kong. Here we go. Okay. Uh, I would like to preface my opinions greatly, because this is one that... Uh, so This is I, not what they do on Q&A. It's just like, Andrew Bolt versus, you know, like, someone... Sarah Hansen Young. Yeah, Sarah Hansen go. Young. Go. Who would have guessed that we like to implement nuance in our discussions? And, and respectful debate? Yeah. Nah. <laughs> You're not just doing this for ratings? What? So uh. Uh, when, when I was very fortunate enough to study at NIDA, there were two debates that constantly came up. One was whether it's a potato cake or a potato scallop. The correct answer is potato fritter. Oh and, yes, and yeah, that makes I agree sense. With you. Yeah, how's a potato like scallop? That's what they call that. it somewhere. That's very interesting, though. Yeah, that came up all the time. The other debate <laughs> was whether or not Rent was good. Somewhat okay. more relevant to what you more were more relevant to the musical theatre course. I, I have thought a lot about Rent in my years. I have given Rent a lot of chances. I've watched the movie. Uh-huh. I watched. There's a. There's a. The, I think it was the final Broadway production of it. They recorded it uh, I, and professionally, and I watched that. Uh, in preparation for this, I watched the 2009, uh, 2019 live special, and I've listened to the cast album once or twice. Like, I've given yeah. it a lot of chances in a lot of different formats to try and figure out what is my issue, why am I not uh, engaging with this thing that is so beloved. And I think it's best summed up in... There's a, a video essayist called Lindsay Ellis... She does, it's about a 40 minute breakdown. Another Ellis. Ellis. That's what yes, I, was I know, yeah. right? That's why I like her. Also, she's very intelligent and has a lot of good points to make. Uh, Another Ellis. <laughs> um, she, uh, she made a, a 40, I think a 40 minute video about rent. It goes into the, the historical context, it does a bit of the writing. She kind of sums up a lot of the issues that I have with it. And I think my biggest issue is. Also, one of the reasons why I think it's so hard to talk about Rent when you don't like it is that the creator died mm. whilst it was still in kind of infancy. in its infancy yeah. being made. I think mm. he, he died just before the off-Broadway, the debut. off-Broadway yeah. debut. And a lot of things change from the off-Broadway version to the Broadway version of a show. There's yeah. still a lot of time yeah. to develop Still a lot that. of workshopping happening. Yeah. And um, did that workshopping happen just without him? I am not sure, okay. to be honest. I would imagine not. There's a lot of reverence placed on Jonathan Larson in sure. regards to this, and I would imagine that whatever version the show was the night he died, that's the version of the show that we have now. Yeah. One would one would assume. So um, how dare you hate on it, Ellis? <laughs> so the fact you that... You died while writing it. Calm your farm. All right. And with, with respect... I think there is a lot of the social elements of Rent are really wonderful and uh-huh, important, uh-huh, and the significance uh-huh. that this show has had to uh, the communities that it represents huge. is huge. huge. And nothing made me take... not homophobic for a year. Mm. Not, it's one of the few musicals to have won the Pulitzer Prize for drama for a reason. Yeah, it is an incredibly important cultural text. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That said, I think it's a really incredibly important first draft. <laughs> Oh, I would not say first. I'd say like it's third draft. No, I'd say it's close to final. It's like a couple drafts before the final one. I, I just pretty much there. I think. I think there's, in my opinion, there's a lot of lyrical clunkiness. Um, Some of the ways in which it tells the story 
uh, I, I th- uh, the the narrative story is a bit uh, haphazard in some ways. I also think, uh, and, and again, Lindsay Ellis goes into a lot of this in her video, I think it raises more issues than it knows how to um, talk about. Like, the, there's a homeless subplot sure. that goes throughout yeah. the entire text. I, which... I liked the way they talked about that. Sorry, when they when he was Mark was filming this homeless person, mm-hmm. um, and she was like, "How dare you just film me to advance your own artistic career? Like, check your privilege." Mm-hmm. And have you got a dollar? Thought not. All of that amazing. Yeah. What does Mark do with that afterwards? He's like, "Ah, uh, moving on." Exactly. <laughs> it right. raises all of these issues right. and then doesn't and doesn't them. resolve it. In fact, Act One, sure. I noticed watching yesterday, Act One ends with Mark announcing that there was a riot caused by the um, caused by uh, Maureen's, Maureen's performance, yeah. and the police and the homeless people are are, are like actively uh, in conflict. Right, and the characters don't seem to care. No, well, they, they then they say something. They say they're like, "Oh God!" And then he says a line after that, which I can't remember, which is like, "But but we kept partying, no, no, loving yeah, the land." Yeah. No, no, and no, then he's like, "But then, but you know, hey, at least they're like doing something. At least we did something about this. We affected society. Woo, loving the land." And I think like Mark especially seems more concerned about affecting society than bettering it. <laughs> Yeah, oh, you could kind of argue that. You could kind of argue that Maureen does too. Like, it, like yeah. when um when um uh, Mimi wakes up, and I don't I don't know if this was in the movie, but in the 2019 when she wakes up, and the first thing she says is moo. She says moo. Oh, does she? Yeah, she says moo. That's her first line when she wakes up from nearly dying. Oh my god! And then she says, "I jumped over the moon." And Maureen is like, oh, my art had an influence <laughs> on saving someone's life. That's a little bit two dimensional. Let's be real. Mm-hmm. Your criticisms have merit. And and while we're speaking about Mimi dying, I mean, uh, it's it's kind of common knowledge that uh, Rent is loosely based on the opera La Bohème. Yep. Um, and so a lot of the plot points that occur in Rent are directly because they occurred in that. Like the opening where they're burning their art to survive, that's directly from the musical. Uh, the fact that... The, the opera. opera. Uh, the opera, sorry. Yeah. And um, also some of the music is directly from the opera the in a really cool way. Right? Which sounds like Italian opera, but also like little because things. Because it's the motif that... Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but also little things um, that I can't remember and uselessly brought up. Sorry, go on. <laughs> I think um, some of the character names are borrowed as well. Like, I, think I think Mimi is borrowed. Mimi, yeah. Also Dumas Chunard, I think is like... Like Angel's oh, double-barreled last name, I think, is the oh. name of like a character, maybe. Okay, yeah. Uh, but the, the but the fact that Angel kills a dog is a direct reference to I think they have to kill a parrot in the opera. Sure. And yeah. and the end of the opera is uh, the character of Mimi dying. Yeah. And the ending of Rent is the character of Mimi dying and coming back to life after hearing the worst <laughs> song. <laughs> In the entire show. Oh, it's not that bad. Oh, it's bad. Oh, no. So, so the whole thing is about your eyes are magical. At no point in the musical do they mention the significance of Mimi's eyes or Roger noticing Mimi's eyes. It has no significance to the story in any way except for the fact that Jonathan Larson like, needed a song that obviously was important and was like, ah, this will do. They I'll did, fix like... it in the next draft that sadly didn't happen. The claws, because he f***ing died, Ellis, <laughs> you monster. <laughs> 
He died. Like it, it's okay. No, I, you're I right. think I think the song is so bad that the only reason. Oh, it's not that bad. The only reason Mimi woke up was to stop him singing it. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, all right. No, in Jonathan Larson's posthumous defense, um, which you're an asshole for attacking. By the way, um, he he was like. There was this one line, which is like, oh, the songwriter cannot hear, and the filmmaker cannot see. Or was it the other way around? Was it like, the songwriter cannot see, and the filmmaker cannot hear, in You're Living in America at the End of the Millennium, mm. which I think was a reference to, like, the songwriter needs to look around and see Mimi's eyes. Like, he needs to see. I think that's pulling at straws. That's, pull, that's pulling a lot of straws. I drew that connection at 13. I stand by it. <laughs> <laughs> that musical may be not homophobic for a hot second. <laughs> but I think, I think my main issue is this. Uh, and, and I think this will prompt but an like, interesting but discussion. No, it was... No, it was... He's like, I was searching for a song. I was searching for a song this whole time. Okay, like, you know, he's a pretty, like, douchey, unlikable character. But he's like, <laughs> I was searching for a song the whole time, and then I realized, you were the song all along. And before the song dies. It's like, you were the song. Okay, I thought that was way better at 13. At 13, I was like, oh, that's so beautiful. He was looking for his art, and then he, like, then he realized that, that actually he needed to value the person that he was with because, like, actually people are more valuable than art, and you shouldn't just be, like, like, um, crushing people into your art. That's a good moral. I like that. That is a nice sentiment. That's but, a nice sentiment. But it also, like, makes him a pretty douchey character for, like, doing that for the whole rest of the musical yeah. until that point. Um, but it made me like your eyes as a song. <laughs> that is an achievement, then, in that case. But one, one, one thing that I also take issue with is the fact that there are two couples presented in, uh-huh. the, in the piece who Three. are... Three couples. Oh, sorry, you're going to finish your sentence. I was going to finish my sentence, Josh. Oh, I, I just man-cut you off. What's the, what's the word mean for, like, man-cutting? Is that just mansplaining? Is that regular mansplaining? I don't know if you can mansplain another man, but sure. Okay. Oh, no, like... I think it's just patriarchy in action, isn't it? There are two couples in the piece who are HIV positive. Okay, yes, that's true. Wait, no, no, that's more. There's more. Are there? There's... Roger Mimi. and Mimi and Angel and Collins. You said two characters. Oh, you two mean two couples. couples. Two couples. Two I couples. said couples. Oh, sorry. I was man listening to you. Listeners, you should have seen Mim's glare. That was amazing. All right. Okay, go on. So in the piece, there are two couples who are... <laughs> HIV positive. HIV positive. Yeah. Uh, Mimi and Roger and Collins and Angel. And yeah. of those two couples, the queer couple suffers the death. Yep. And the straight couple miraculously comes back to life because of a shitty song. Even yeah. though in the uh, opera of which on which it is based, that isn't true. Mimi does yeah. die. Sure, yeah. And I have issue with. I think that is really contrived and also kind of at odds with the the somewhat realistic portrayal of what all the the other characters are going through for your heterosexual couple at the end. Well, we got to keep them together. No, I totally, I totally argue the opposite for several reasons, and this is why. <clears throat> One, okay, she, Mimi is not in a good way when she comes back to life. Mm. And the implication that I read is that, sure, she's alive, but like not. probably for a few more days. And then it feeds into the overriding message, which is there is no future, there is no past, let's live this moment as our last, there's only us, there's only this, forget regret, all life is yours, yours to miss. miss. And it's like, just be in the present... 
and enjoy what you have now because literally Mimi you're fucking dying and like <laughs> you know you're gonna be gone soon and and the fact that Angel told Mimi to turn around and go back which is corny cheesy whatever but 13 year old me loved it maybe not homophobic so um, <laughs> so like so she so like the, the Angel is still like affecting this community affecting these characters for good and also like helping Mimi and these these Idiot straight characters, sorry, like, no, okay, like at least in Roger's case, this idiot straight character, um, to to like appreciate what they have and actually be like kind of a functional couple by the end of the show. Which I would say, um, Angel dying, uh, and that that is the only, literally the only tragedy that befalls the um, mm. th- that same sex. Well, not really same sex because queer Angel, couple. That queer, queer couple, couple. That queer couple. That is literally the only tragedy they have. The, they have a perfect relationship. They have a, a relationship to aspire to, and the straight couple and like you know couple like and Maureen you know also being bi um, and attracted to men and with that with being with Mark recently. Like, the, the straight people are fucking it up. Like they can't. <laughs> they, they can't have. They can't have a successful relationship, and the queer model, the queer relation, one of the queer relationships is the model relationship, and just its only tragedy is that Angel dies, and I think that's balanced out. I think that balances out Mimi coming back to life because I think um, the fact that their relationship was so shit—it's like, what did she even come back to life for? It's like I do think, however, that the fact that the straight couple that has. AIDS doesn't have a death within the couple kind of feeds into the stereotype that AIDS only affected gay people. Um, yeah. I mean, AIDS did disproportionately, and does, sorry, mm. does <clears throat> disproportionately affect queer people, uh, particularly gay men. Yeah. Yes. Um, um, but also, does that make um, straight people a bit more nonchalant about whether or not it can actually affect them? Because yeah, it can. totally. It can. Everyone listening at home, have safe sex. Let's, let's <laughs> Practice safe sex, everyone. Practice safe sex, everyone. On that happy note. No, let Ellis and I go out <laughs> more. <laughs> no, that's okay. I think... Wait, can I, I just say... Can, oh, sorry. <laughs> what were you going to say? I was going to say, like, even, even though I don't appreciate rent as, like, an artistic... On an artistic level, I think its cultural significance cannot be ignored. It, it, yes. Like, Josh, you are, you are like living proof that rent affects people and, and allows them to, to see themselves portrayed in a way that media hasn't um, done before. The fact that Maureen appears to have been the first bisexual character in a musical in, in ever, a musical ever yep. that's like astounding. This, 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 I think rent is an important show for a lot of reasons. And yep. the fact that one straight white guy doesn't <laughs> like it or doesn't get it doesn't detract from its significance culturally. But one raging queen loves it and will forgive it for literally everything because it made him not homophobic. And the writer f- <laughs> died, Ellis. <laughs> All right, you horrible man. Um, wait, can I just say my parting words on rent? Yes. Okay. <clears throat> I love it. I, as a queer person, I rate it in terms of its uh, queer rights, queer representation, Yes, it's got problematic elements to it. What doesn't? Shut up, cancel culture. I read some articles really bashing it and saying, oh, it's aged, oh, it's not as good as it. But, like, they couldn't come up with a really concrete criticism of it. Mm. Um, I also think that you can critique something um, so that your interpretation of it um, 
is f- fresh by modern standards. Yeah. But you can't, you cannot deny how significant it was when it was released. Yeah, totally, totally. And it's still like you, you would still be so hard pressed to find a musical that has so much queer representation yeah. that represents mm. sex workers and people who have addiction mm. um, in their lives. So it's and bisexual characters. And bisexual characters, <laughs> evidently, like it's so cutting edge still. Uh, even though musically it is and lyrically it is quite dated, I'd say lyrically, like watching it again since being thirteen, sure, maybe some it's bits not. Are a bit cringy. Maybe some bits are a bit cringy. Um, maybe it's not the best written thing ever. It's not the worst, definitely. No. Not the oh, worst. No. And there no, are some definitely. really great real lines. Tunes. There are some real, but that, some real those box. tunes, like musically, I'm going to say even though it's dated. <clears throat> It is a, is really well composed. I, I think it's really, really good music. And I'll be lampooned for saying that because there's so many people that are like, oh, it's not good music. I think it's good music. I, bitch, I think it's good music. <laughs> and also... It's subjective. It's art, Josh. You're yeah, but also, like, like okay, seriously, seriously, will I lose my dignity? That is, that's like in... Music, we call that around that particular format of the song when they um, start that those that line at various points and then they all overlap. That is the best round ever written, it's according gorgeous. to me. It That's like I'm, <laughs> you've heard it here from I, Josh Barbera. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I make I make the claim. Bach, who in like classical music, we would say that he's the master of rounds. He wrote the best rounds, best canons and rounds of anyone. Bach ain't got nothing on "Will I Lose My Dignity." He's got nothing on that. That is the best round ever written. I'm saying it now. And, like, if you disagree me, fight me. <laughs> it's, just, it's so good. And the, and the way that Jonathan Larson, the way he uses in that song, which is, like, emblematic of why I love Rent Musically, the way he uses semitone, dissonance, and resolution in this night. So if you don't know what that is, it's like, this is a bit where it goes, um, this nightmare. It's just... <laughs> I love it. It's so musically like oh. It's a really satisfying it's, song to sing. It's like it's heartbreaking and wonderful and and aspirational and it just to me entirely captures this feeling of living within a time of pandemic and in this time of tragedy globally and the only thing that you have to cling to is each other and for mm. that reason I Rate rent. You're a monster for hating it, Ellis. And that's my thoughts. Well, one thing that I like to do is like if I don't particularly enjoy a piece, I like to recommend something that I do enjoy that kind of tackles similar things. So if you are like me and shamefully don't enjoy rent, very shamefully, shame on you. Um, I highly recommend uh, Angels in America by Tony oh, Kushner. Oh yes, yes. Which uh, yes. which also deals with the the AIDS uh, pandemic. The National Theatre Live production with Andrew Garfield and Nathan Lane is available mm. somewhere, probably on their website. If you have if you have seven hours to sit <laughs> through two parts of it, do it because it's one of the best things I've ever seen. I should do I that. I saw it on the West End and it was incredible. <gasps> really? With Andrew Garfield and wow. Nathan Lane. Don't hate me. Okay. Oh, I hate you a little bit, man. <laughs> it was <laughs> phenomenal. Wow. I am a douchebag. Wow. I'm actually sorry on the West End. Oh. <laughs> uh, can I just say my... AIDS recommendation would be Holding the Man, the original book by Timothy Conagrave. Uh, particularly if you're in Australia, that's a classic. Um, it's an Australian classic. Uh, if, you, if you don't know it, it's a, it's a literal memoir by a, uh, by a performer, artist, um, writer called Timothy Conagrave. 
And it's a, the most tragic, beautiful love story ever, I would have to say. Good luck editing that out, that, that big peak. That peak. I'll just say that again. It's the most... I'm just watching the, the, the sound bar, and when we started our robust discussion at the end, the, it's definitely it's, yeah, picked up a lot. It's picked up a lot. So it's, I'd say I'd highly rate Holding the Man. Uh, the original memoir is really, really worth a read. Mm. Uh, I don't have any AIDS recommendations other than what's already been said. Angels in America is great, but I like Wrench, unlike the monster that is Ellis Dolan. The monster that is Ellis <laughs> Dolan. Can we have a sound effect of like, boo? <laughs> Sorry, Ellis, no, this is terrible. People throwing things at me. Can I just say, this is all in jest. I hate cancel culture, Ellis. You're not, you're not cancelled. I love you. Thank you. I, love I, you I say this out of jest. Yes. Um, Rent, an important cultural work. Queer representation off the charts. Representation of women is also pretty strong. Diverse is all hell. Such a significant work that regardless of some clunky lyrics... And possibly aged music, that mm. is still great, I think. Is important. I think it's important that we see more things like Rent that encourage this robust... <laughs> but not Rent. ...diverse discussion. <laughs> <laughs> I would much rather... Have more rents for us to talk about than not. Great. That's a lovely way to that's a lovely note to end it. On. Thank you for listening, everyone. This is Feminism Ruins Everything. We'll Including see all of our friendships. Yeah. <laughs> Mim, quickly, if people want to get in touch with us, because because we obviously have a lot of passionate feelings about rent. If yes. you have passionate feelings about rent, where can they tell us them? Let us know via our Instagram page. You can send us a DM or comment on anything. We are at Feminism Ruins Everything Pod. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook. We are Feminism Ruins Everything colon, a feminist podcast. Send us a message there. We'd love to hear from you as well. Tell us your strong feelings about rent because we'd love to throw some more into I think the They mix. are very strong. They are very <laughs> strong generally in the community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for listening, everyone. This is Feminism Ruins Everything with our special guest, Josh Belperio. Josh, thank you so much, thank for, you coming, so much Josh. for being here. Thank you. My absolute pleasure. All right. Bye, everyone. Take care. Bye. See you next week. Feminism Ruins Everything. It's a feminist podcast. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.